Wow, it's already June and summertime is here. Whether you're going to the beach, pool, or just laying out in the park, you gotta get a good swimsuit. I stick to the classics and go for my Birdwell beach britches. Birdwell is the original California board short. Founded in 1961, surf mom Carrie Birdwell Mann transformed her tiny California home into a sewing room and store, launching Birdwell and creating one of the first surf shops. Look, their quality is phenomenal. Birdwells are hand-cut and sewn in their Santa Ana, California factory, where some of their craftspeople have been for over 40 years. Best of all, your birdies are guaranteed for life. I've had mine since 2005, yes, I still fit in them, and their signature Surf Nile fabric has held up across the countless beaches I've been on, and I'll be honest, I'm hard on my stuff. To get 10% off your first Birdwell Beach Bridges purchase with a lifetime guarantee and free shipping over $99, go to birdwell.com and use discount code BLAMO at checkout. That's discount code B-L-A-M-O at birdwell.com. So pick up your first pair of birdies and see why they've been an American icon since 1961. You're listening to Blamo, and I'm your host, Jeremy Kirkland. My guest this week is Seth Skerritt. Seth is the founder and CEO of online custom clothier Proper Cloth. And as we'll hear today, trying to do custom clothing online is not the easiest of tasks. With custom, there's so many chances to make mistakes. There's like a million things you can screw up. And it was really frustrating because you could do so many things right. And like the monogram was the wrong color. And like, oh, this shirt sucks. Scarrett and I talk about the origins of the brand, why he's not worried about the rise of streetwear, and why despite the incredible store Proper Cloth has in Soho, he still sees the company as primarily an online business. Let's do it. Seth Skerritt. Right. That, is, that is the correct pronunciation of your name, right? That's right, yep. S-E-P-H. That's a dope name. Yeah. Seth, you're on Buemo. Thank you so much for sitting and talking with me today. Thanks for having me. So we're going to talk about a bunch of different stuff today, but one of the big things we'll talk about is Proper Cloth, which is your brand and company. That's right. Um, and you're the founder, CEO? Yep. All that, all that stuff on all the card? All those together. Um, that's amazing. And we're in your office right now on Broadway in Soho, and it's stunning. It's beautiful. I had no idea that you also had your operations here as well. Yeah. Yeah, we do the whole, whole shebang here. That's pretty cool. So like if there's a customer, say like on the other side of the wall, and they're like, you know, complaining or venting or, or talking about how much they love a certain thing, you can pretty much get that feedback in like 10 seconds, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and sometimes customers get taken to the back to show, be shown something new or, right. you know, so it's all, it all feels, I think, much more intimate and connected to uh, the brand and the store. It all connects. Yeah, it's, it's really nice. It's beautiful. Um, so we, I want to jump to the beginning here and figure out how you got started. So okay. you, I mean, cause your business is not that old, right? You're like maybe 10 years or so we old are now. 10, about, we're approaching 10 years. Yeah. Which is pretty fantastic. Feels like a long time. Well, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Like 10 years in menswear years. Like yeah. <laughs> that's like dog years, right? Yeah, I mean, that's a, a long lot, time. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how did this all begin? So you were at MIT, I believe? Right. I was in grad school there. Okay. And um, I had specifically gone there with the idea that I wanted to start a business. Right. And I was, uh, so I'm searching for what can I do. And um, my background before that was unique. I had studied engineering in college. I'd worked as an electrical engineer for several years and had worked in technology. 
doing that. But I'd also started this business in college that was um, organizing events and throwing parties and marketing events to college kids. Oh, when okay. Was, when I was in school. So I had this kind of like dual background of uh, marketing and, and design that went with throwing those events, and um, but also technology and building stuff. And I was kind of uh, not sure what to do with my life or how to put all that together. So business school seemed like maybe an opportunity to figure that out. Sure. So I was in grad school and I'm just business planning, uh, trying to learn as much as I can about uh, everything and find an opportunity. And as uh, I did an internship that summer in, uh, actually the first half of the summer, I did an internship in Shanghai and the second half in Bangalore. Just, I wanted to travel and wow. that was an excuse to go to someplace cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, so in Shanghai, though, I was working for this guy, uh, brilliant guy, Barrett Comiskey, uh, who was actually, he's actually the inventor of e-ink, the Kindle display. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, and, that's um, sick. <laughs> yeah, so he was a great guy. And um, I was there, there was one other intern with, with me and his wife was a local Chinese, she was a Chinese lady. Okay. And um, she offered to take us to the fabric market there in Shanghai to get custom clothes. Right. Because, you know, it, uh, it's a great deal. It's cheap. They're good. And, yeah. and she was, was going to make sure we as tourists didn't get ripped off. You know, oh, we were, okay. she would take us to the right guy. Get the local deal. Get right. the local prices. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we were like, all right, sure. Sounds good. So we went and, um, and that was when I got custom clothing for the first time. Oh, and, wow. um, you know, before that, when I bought clothes for work, it was the experience was like going to Nordstrom's or sure. uh, wherever. And, and I was a tall, slim guy and nothing fit me right. And, yeah. and I was also always a little particular about how I wanted something to look or a collar or some design detail. And yeah. so my experience shopping before was always this one of frustration and, nothing fits and uh, uh, well, I'll just have to settle for something because you need, you need work clothes. Right. You're like, and, well, I, I, it's okay. The shirt's really blousey. I'll just kind of deal with it. Uh, yeah. Like <laughs> there's more important things. Right. So right. Um, that was my experience shopping before. And then you go, you get custom clothing and it's like, wow, you just tell the guy what you want and you get it. And it was that easy. And it, to me, that was just like, wow, this, this exists. This is amazing. <laughs> like you can do this. And, um, you know, here I was out in Shanghai in the middle of, you know, across the other side of the uh, uh, world. And yeah. um, I was just thinking, like, hmm, how come we didn't have this? This wasn't available to me before uh, yeah. when I was uh, getting my first job or, or whatnot. So kind of got the uh, gears turning on how, can, how come this doesn't exist in the States? And how could, how could we bring this to, to folks in the States and make it more accessible? So then proper cloth begins from there? Yeah, well, I, at the time, uh, so I was at MIT, and um, you're surrounded by brilliant folks doing really big things and, and you know, starting the next social network or yeah, the next search engine or <laughs> cure for diabetes or, you know, solar cells or something, all, all these really th big things. And, and I was, but that, that custom clothing concept sort of stuck with me, and so... Of course, I'd tell someone, yeah, I'm thinking about doing this custom clothing business, and it just sounded like the dumbest idea. You know, like, <laughs> They're like, yeah, well, we're trying to solve world hunger over here. <laughs> yeah, and, and also, like, 2000, this is 2007, and there's no direct consumer brands. Yeah. People, people are barely shopping online, not to mention buying clothes online. Like, that, yeah. that hasn't really happened yet. So 
it just sounded like I think a really small, silly idea that like probably wasn't going to work. And um, so I, I struggled with that, and I was, but it just just kept I kept coming back to it. And um, well, as I kind of thought more about it, it just seemed like that was the future. Like, why would I buy clothes in standard sizes if I could have the clothes made to order for me yeah. um, in exactly the way I wanted? And uh, this idea that you could go online and you could have your safe sizes and it would just all be there and it'd be so easy. My style preference would be there. To me, that just seemed futuristic. And um, and I also liked that it seemed like to make this work, it was going to take a mix of being able to build technology and, and some infrastructure to make it all work smoothly and having a sense of design and, and some marketing know-how to to build a brand around it. So, and I, I was interested in both of those things. And so to me, it was like, oh, this could be a fun project to work on. Right. So that's, I just started um, uh, designing a website for it and thinking through like, okay, how would you design a shirt on the internet? And how would you create a size uh, through a website? And I just started trying to put those things together. And I've, uh, researched the space, found some factories, found a factory in North Carolina, actually, that make custom shirts for Brooks Brothers. Yeah. And some other men's shops. And they said, yeah, we'd make custom shirts for you if you gave us orders. And I said, okay, cool. And asked them. And, <laughs> like, we need orders. <laughs> yeah. It was, a, it was By this time, it's 2008. Yeah. Like, you know, things are slowing down in the economy and everyone's getting a little nervous. And um, so they weren't going to turn away a customer at that point. And um, so I just would ask them a thousand questions about, you know, okay, so what's the difference between this fabric and that fabric? And why, why is this collar like this? And why are these buttons more expensive? And why, what's a placket? And how does that work? And what's right. it for? And um, buying every other shirt brand on the market and taking it apart and measuring it and trying to just really like reverse engineer, like, okay, what makes a good shirt? And um, become an expert on the product. and through that and, and with that factory, we, and then I was able to get this website built. I had, um, we launched the site in October 2008 and yeah. um, was in business, so oh. to speak. So one of the things that I want to talk about with Proper Cloth and what you guys have done is, first off, the concept of made-to-measure clothing and custom clothing is, is definitely is new to some people and really old to others because but there there's like a a barrier and this threshold of well custom clothing is for the richest of the rich it's basically only in say london or you know naples or or you know somewhere in italy and that's it and the experience is usually a little bit stuffy really you know and i i went when I was, uh, I worked for a, a company in Britain for a while, and I went into Savile Row gotcha. one time. So yeah. this is me, geez, this is literally me 10 years ago. Okay. So I look like a clown. <laughs> um, I'm probably not in very good shape, and I like mosey in to, you know, I'm walking down Savile Row, and I walk in uh, to like Huntsman or whatever okay. at the time, and they are like, who are you? <laughs> like, what are you doing here? And actually, right. at the time... I had like a pretty big wad of cash and I wanted to get like a custom shirt, something. I okay. want to get something okay. to like mark my experience. So I walk in there and I basically kind of get laughed out or 
the ob- obnoxious like, are, are you sure you're in the right place, sir? Or, or, or are you meeting someone oh, here? Oh, wow. I mean, it was awful. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I wanted to uh, I wanted to be like pretty woman and like go yeah. back and be like, <laughs> you, I'm getting all <laughs> Show them. Yeah. But there was really nothing that I, I could try to do that would um that could kind of bridge this to make this more for the everyman and i think what's nice and what i really like about your brand and proper cloth is that it's it's accessible right to a lot of people yeah accessibility was a big part of the initial concept there was and there was three ways i saw it one was it was affordable if you go to asia but who can go to asia like that's that's a huge trip yep. the other one was it's expensive yep. and um you just can't afford it. And then the third one was like you said, most of the brands were very pretentious. Mm-hmm. And it was about like wearing ascots and bow ties and pocket squares. And it was, you know, you know, I grew up surfing on the beach and laid back and I wanted to look great, but like that, I didn't identify with that brand of um, butlers and, you know, uh, extra fancy sure. uh, British style. So, to me, there seemed like an opportunity at the time. This was, I think, J. Crew was really coming of age. Oh yeah, J. Crew then was too. And yeah. it was like, yeah, J. Crew, like those clues are cool. Like they're not like uptight, but they're considered. And um, and so the idea was, okay, let's create a brand that feels uh, more accessible, uh, but we'll do custom. Right. So when you when you launch proper cloth, when you get your first order, where you I mean, how, how did that process work? I mean, you know, were you finding a way to like have the orders like automatically, like were they getting emailed to these brands? Like, yeah. So no, no. So, um, I mean the initial version we launched was, uh, the version of the website was very, very basic. It barely worked to be honest. Um, that's fine. It's your first iteration. That's okay. You know, this, this was a bootstrapped operation. No, financing no big team this was something i was able to put together like with next to nothing and and this is just you it's just me and um i'm working with some uh developers offshore but Mm -hmm. uh, i'm managing it and designing it and um so it would the the initial version allowed someone to design a shirt choose between maybe 15 fabrics, all of which were pretty boring, like mm-hmm. a solid white pinpoint, a solid blue pinpoint. A, a but the red, basics. A red stripe, the yeah. basics. Yeah. Choose between three different collar styles. Choose between maybe two different cuff styles. Do you want a pocket or not? Mm-hmm. And you could add that to your... Oh, and then you could create a custom size by pulling up a standard size and then plussing and minusing the dimensions to be slightly different. Oh, okay. And then you could add that, you could add that shirt to the cart and you could check out. And then... On the back end, it would produce like who knows what, and then I would manually go in there and be like, "Okay, I gotta like translate this to an order file that I'm gonna give to this factory in North Carolina." Oh wow! And so it was very manual. It was very slow, and um, but it was just it was really a proof of concept. You know, like will people even buy a custom shirt on the web on the internet? And so I sent you know I, I got that up working and emailed that to all of my friends uh, from college and grad school and Order a everyone shirt. I knew <laughs> hey I, I launched this like check it out and you know probably out of pity like some folks ordered shirts and um and so that's how I got my first orders and it was slow it took like five or more weeks to deliver the product so a month and a half later you know we deliver the first shirts and some of them are good and the guys are are happy and others were total screw-ups and something I made wrong or you know some 
uh, something got flipped, you sure. know, like just uh, standard human error. That's okay. I mean, I remember one customer, uh, he, he, he needed like a shorter shirt cause he was a shorter guy. Right. And, um, the shirt he got was like 10 inches longer than it was supposed to be. <laughs> and it was like, because I had like some, some sign flip, like it was supposed to be a minus five for his length and he got a plus five or something. Yeah. So lots of like screw ups like that, but you know, you got feedback, you were able to learn from that, correct things. Now you're, and so I was just, uh, started this process of like, okay, well, like I can solve that problem and solve that problem and fix that and make that a little better. And that won't happen again. And, um, and, and, you know, trying to get the word out at the same time. And, and that's, that was, that's how we got started and continued really the same process for the last 10 years. And now how your staff, I mean, there's a lot of people behind you. How, how many people do you have here now? Yeah, we're about um, 32 folks today. Jeez Louise. Yeah. And, that, and that's here? Are, are you that, all based here? That's all. Uh, there's a couple folks that work from home uh, or remotely, but okay. um, the vast majority, there's, there's 30 people in the New York office. Jeez Louise. And so one of the interesting things is so you start, you start this company, you're online, yeah. but you know, eventually there is a desire to kind of have a physical presence. Right. Right. I mean, when did, was that always the, orig- the original plan to, to no. have a... No, that was not. I, I actually <laughs> really didn't want to have a physical presence. Um, and uh, because... I thought it was expensive. I thought it was going to be, you know, I think a, a lot of the original direct consumer pitches were like, we don't have stores. That's why we're more, we can deliver yeah. better value. And so I was like, yeah, we won't have stores. It's online. And, um, but one of the things that happened being in New York was that customers would, uh, prospective customers would realize you're in New York and they'd say, oh, can I stop by and look at some stuff in person? Right. Um, or, Hey, I I'm having, I'd like to create a size. If I come by your office, can I, can you measure me? And so you just had that constant request and you're desperate for orders. So you're not going to say no, like you're like, Oh sure. Come, come by and we'll take, we'll take care of it. So, and at the time I was working out of this incubator, like with a bunch of it was a co-working space with a bunch of other startups around me. Okay. And, you know, I was the kind of shirt guy there. <laughs> and I had this big stack of fabric swatches that I kept, like, on the back shelf. And so someone would come into this place, probably expecting a cool menswear store. And then right. finding this, like, weird technology sort of uh, uh, sloppy loft in, in um, Union Square. <laughs> and I'd, like, go back to the back, pick up the big pile of fabric swatches like drop them on a on a table out front in the open and bring my measuring tape and maybe help measure some things and walk them through the fabrics and and help them place the order right um and that was just like not the business model the business model is we're going to make the web experience so great people don't need to come in we'll you know we'll solve these online problems and um but people just kept asking to do that and so when we finally uh, left that incubator space and got our own dedicated space we were like all right well we're gonna have folks come in yeah and so let's we we, we want to take uh take into consideration the brand experience of coming in in person and so that's we we designed our first office with a tiny little corner and a couch and a mirror and a tiny little rack and it was like okay here's a place we can help a customer without it feeling like he's totally in the wrong place so when did you move into here? Well, here, we've been here since uh, 
maybe a year and a half now. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we've been here for a year and a half. Uh, we were at a different space, similar, where mm-hmm. we had the showroom in the front and office in the back. Uh, for We were a different space, you know, a block down the street at right. uh, 450 Broadway for a couple years. And we were at a, a similar space, but again, smaller even still at um, another Broadway address before that. So we've kind of been scaling up the same concept as we go where we have a showroom in the front and an office in the back right so one of the things that you had said that you happen uh that you experienced at the beginning is like occasionally there's these airs these yeah you know it's human airs but yeah. like i i know exactly how you feel i worked for the armory for a while and there would be times where you're taking someone's measurements and you meant to write plus and you wrote minus yeah or <laughs> Because someone, you know, we would then email these to these factories in Italy. So, you know, we would send this over to them and sometimes they thought it was a plus or a minus or there's dust on the scanner or something like that. And they're like, oh, I didn't realize that. And so what are the things that you guys are able to do now that's really uh, reducing this air and making it more streamlined? Yeah, exactly. Um, And and with custom, there's so many chances to make mistakes. (laughs) You know, yeah. there's like a million things you can screw up. And, the, and it was really frustrating because you could do so many things right. And like the monogram was the wrong color. Oh. And like, oh, this shirt sucks. Like, you guys are terrible. Like, I, I don't want this. I'm not paying for this. Just so many things to get right. And um, the way we've, we've solved that for the most part is with technology and building in the system so that there's no, hu- there's as, as little human uh, human error possible right so the orders now are fully captured online nothing's right nobody's writing any notes somewhere it's fully handled online and so then we're able to generate digital files that will get then get imported into the factory system purely digitally no forms no no people reading something scribbled down and translating it and um and that that that's how we really eliminate most of those mistakes Right. Yeah. I mean, because it, it's funny, you know, I used to really love and romanticize all this handmade Italian clothing. Yeah. But as I'm sitting before you right now, I'm wearing a machine made shirt. Um, I'm wearing machine made jeans because actually I get more wear out of these yeah. than the stuff that I had. Like I had this Neapolitan handmade shirt, but right. I've worn it twice yeah. and the buttons popped off and yeah. it, it's not because the construction was bad. The construction was beautiful, but I'm, you know, I'm moving around. I have a baby now. I yeah. mean, there's so much stuff that at the end of the day, I am preferring machine made because of the durability over it. Well, hold on. So it's the okay. shirts are still, um, I know you guys do handmade. Yeah. So I think most clothes are sewn by hand. Right. Um, I mean, using sewing machines, but most clothes are sewn by hand. And and honestly, I think whether that's being done by someone in Italy or someone in Asia or someone in the States, the the actual manufacturing is still very similar. Mm -hmm. They might use slightly different stitching or slightly different construction techniques, but they're still sewing it by hand. What, what we've automated is um, the pattern making process so oh. that uh, the digital pa- the pattern that we use to figure out how wide the, the sleeve is going to be on your, on your shirt and the shoulders and how that fits into the chest and how all those pieces come together, that we've fully converted to g- digital. Oh, wow. And, and then that 
uh, digital pattern can be robotically cut out of the fabric. So the fabric pieces can be cut fully automatically. And so that removes the chance that um, someone cuts something, reduces the chance that something's cut wrong or, 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 or slightly different or someone misinterpreted something when they created the pattern. Right. And it gives us very, very precise, repeatable patterns for customers. Yeah. Which is important. After that's done, the shirts are still sewn in actually a very like old-fashioned way. You know, it goes down the sewing line, and someone sews a cuff and sews a collar with their hands, and and um, the same way that it's done in Italy. Uh, well, similar similar way. Yeah, maybe I just need to use your guys' tailors because like, <laughs> literally today, as I was getting dressed, I put on. You know, uh, I had these trousers that I had made yeah. by this you know great Neapolitan trouser maker, yeah. and I don't have any buttons. I don't know where they are. Yeah, they just you know, <laughs> I mean, and, and that's actually an interesting thing that uh, we've put a ton of energy into where, um, and you kind of, over the years, you learn, you're, you're always learning, right? So you, 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 we, I go to Huntsman and I get a shirt and um, look at it and see how they make it. And they're doing things a certain way, right? right. And um, you buy some like very expensive Ascot Chang stuff and you kind of play with it and you, you, you figure it out. And, some things they do, I think, are really special, but don't necessarily last. They're mm-hmm. not designed for um, durability or long life. They're sort of cool and nice details, but they're not um, for durability. So as, as we've gotten more scale and we get a ton of customer feedback, we're always like, we're taking that feedback very seriously. And we're like, okay, hmm, how can we make this? So these buttons don't fall off. Right. And, you know, what can we do here to, uh, uh, or, or the buttons don't crack or the fabric isn't going to rip. And um, there's always a fine, there's always like part of its communication that, okay, these are mother of pearl buttons and they're beautiful and they're natural materials. And this is what luxury shirts are sort of considered supposed to have, but they will break if your dry cleaner smashes them in their press. (laughs) And so, you know, Hey, it's your choice. We also have these plastic buttons that won't break. So, you know, part of it's communicating that. And, um, but other parts, it's like, huh, how can we change this stitching so that, um, you know, it'll last longer? Right. So there's always this kind of continual process where we're figuring out how to communicate things better or, or improve them fundamentally. I'm packing my bags next weekend and headed to PT Womo. And you better believe I'm bringing my carry-on from Away Travel. I'm obsessed with this thing. Away was founded by two friends from New York who found themselves at JFK with dead phones, delayed flights, and a bright idea. Luggage with power. All Away suitcases are made with a premium German polycarbonate that is impeccably strong. I've been using my Away carry-on for over a year on dozens of trips, and it still looks new. I say this all the time, but when I'm rolling through the airport with my Away luggage, I spot other folks with theirs and we give each other a little nod. Oh, you got one too? Nice. Oh, this? Yeah, I've had mine for a while. What are you doing? Oh, charging your phone? Yeah, me too. My bag is dope. Right now, Away is giving Blammo listeners $20 off their purchase. Visit awaytravel.com forward slash Blammo and use promo code Blammo at checkout. Don't even worry about shipping. Away has you covered. Last but not least, Away offers a 100-day trial. Live with it, travel with it. If at any point you decide it's not for you, Return it for a full refund, no questions asked. So visit awaytravel.com forward slash blamo and use promo code blamo at checkout. So 
from now, you can correct me if I'm wrong, you guys are just doing shirts or are you doing other product? So we've expanded to like a full line. Now. Oh, okay. Um, we, uh, but, but uh, well, let's see. So we, we've been doing ties for a long time. Beautiful, handmade in Italy ties with custom printed silks from Cuomo and, and great stuff there. Pocket squares, great stuff there. Um, those are easy. Not yeah. a lot of sizes to deal with. Oh, uh, yeah. We have a, so our sense of aesthetic or what we think, what kind of tie we're look, we'd be looking for, and we can, we can, we're able to produce that, and that's awesome. Um, then we started doing um, other things like vests. We, we had these really cool uh, gilet-type um, puffer vests made out of menswear uh, tailored. Oh, nice! And um, yeah, that's like old school Italian guy. Yeah, really, yeah. Cool, uh, really cool. They've been they've been popular. And then as we've kind of grown, I mean, I should back up. Shirts is our main business by yeah. far, and shirts drives our business. Shirts is where I think we have the best product in the market, and we arguably um, really, really excel there. And mm-hmm. um, but creating these other products is is a lot of times like a passion project for us. Like, hey, you guys want to make a, a cool um bomber jacket yeah let's make it like how would the best bomber jacket work like what's missing and so we're designing a bomber jacket that we just think's great and um those are not custom fit they're oftentimes made in italy they're oftentimes expensive they're not you know disrupting the bomber jacket market by any (laughs) means um but they're like our sense of style and and we're really proud of them and and then they start to go with the shirts and and together produce this full line right and so then um, ob- the obvious category for us to get, get into is uh, sport jackets and suits. Okay. And so um, we've, we've also added those products as well. And um, that's, that's a category where we see big opportunity still. And um, now we're doing, uh, and that's a, that's a category where I think custom makes sense. Right, uh, similar to shirts, I don't think custom makes sense with cashmere sweaters. Custom doesn't make sense with suit, with uh, sorry ties. Yeah, but, I agree. Uh, or vests even, but for sport coats, suits, trousers, custom fit actually has provides a lot of value. So um, that's a, that we, what we've started to do recently is we're selling sport coats and suits in a made to order fashion. Okay, not fully custom, but um, a guy can order a forty one. Uh, short, super slim, for right. example, instead of just having to get a 40. Right. Um, so there's some small adjustments that can be made on the fit and get it made to order. And so is the goal for proper cloth to continue slowly bringing in more and more SKUs? Uh, I, I can't believe I said SKUs. That yeah. sounds so stupid. Uh, more and more like pieces. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, w- I would say our vision is to be a menswear brand that provides the customer the best product, possible product for them uh-huh. in whatever way makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we, no, we want to keep fine. adding more. I think we're going to keep adding more stuff. Um, but but more point, stores? Do you, do you feel that you would add more stores down the road? Oh, more stores? Yeah, probably. Yeah. It, it, again, it's still not our focus. We're still reluctantly doing in-person business. Uh, although the showroom, I mean, the showroom here is great and we've got a staff that works in it and runs it really well and customers that come in in person love it but um it's not our it's still not our main focus as a business is how do we make this showroom amazing our main focus is the online experience right yeah 
Right. So one of the things that's happening right now is streetwear is basically everyone's obsessed with streetwear. So you see all these people wearing hoodies with 500 different logos on them. Right. Or, you know, jeans that have Sharpie written on them and all those (laughs) things. Do you do you think that uh, like that's affected your guys business by like streetwear being really trendy right now? Um, I don't know. I I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, I mean, fundamentally, our business has been growing very fast since we started. Right. And so we haven't like had a year where things slowed down or something like that. So we've always been doing, generally doing more today than we were, you know, a month ago. So we've always had that trajectory in our favor. Um, I would say uh, when we initially started, we were very focused on uh or, or we thought that our customer was going to be investment bankers and consultants who wear suits to work every day and tie. That's who we thought our initial our customer was going to be. Right. And that's a part of our customer base. But one of the things we've really expanded on over the years is the casual style of shirts and these kind of sportier shirts, the the um, plaids and the chambrays and the linens and the denim shirts and the um, more unique, fun stuff. And that part of our business has grown a lot. And we find that um, people might be suiting up less, but they're, st- they're still wearing collared shirts quite a bit. And um, for most corporate jobs, you need to wear a collared shirt of some kind. Yeah, for sure. Uh, even if it's casual, you know, startup casual. Like a lot of times, button-up shirts are part of the like expected um, uh, uniform and um, uh, streetwear doesn't cut it in those environments. Yeah, really. I think like for myself, like I was really, really into streetwear. I'm still like kind of into streetwear. Yeah, but like today, I knew I was going to come into your office. I wore something that looks like a normal person. Okay, you know, like, yeah. and so I think for myself, what I've been experiencing more and more is like all the the trendy stuff that I have. Yeah, I just don't keep. Yeah. I don't really want to hold on to. At the end of the day, I want to look like, you know, a classic normal guy who yeah. so I'm, you know, I'm still wearing my collared shirts. I'll wear jeans and, you know, if anything I I'll wear like tennis shoes. Yeah. But that that's it. Like I yeah. all the dumb stuff that I bought <laughs> over the years, it was fun to have for a bit, but at yeah. the end of the day, I'm still grabbing my you know, blue Oxford or my plaid shirt or whatever. Yeah. I, I mean, for us, you know, we go through Bergdorf's or uh, Cuccinelli or, you know, some like premium menswear stores and we're like, this stuff's awesome. Like these are beautiful clothes that like we want to wear, but God, they're expensive and (laughs) um, they don't fit me either. And so to us, there's this huge opportunity to provide really beautiful men's clothes and they could be casual or they can be business but um to do it in a way that's more accessible and is custom fit to the customer and that to us is that opportunity is not going away no matter what happens with with uh, uh streetwear or um supreme or uh, yeah you know <laughs> no that, that's that's good to know so i want to pivot and talk a little bit more about you okay um you said you're you were from California, no? Or, you, or the surf culture is what you had said? Uh, yeah, actually, um, so I grew up on a small island in the Pacific uh, called Guam. Oh. Yeah. And like on a base? 
No, no. My father was doing construction out there. Okay. Um, very middle class family in the in this small village in Guam, and um, so I grew up surfing and sailing and being around the beach on an island, and there was no fashion. You know, <laughs> there was no tailored clothing anywhere near to that. Um, and we had a very, it's a very, there's that island laid back sort of attitude. That right. was my childhood. Uh, when I left there, I went to San Diego for college. Okay. And San Diego, by comparison, was a huge city, super fast paced, uh, crazy. Um, compared to New York, it's basically a small island. Yeah. Um, Got good burritos there. Yeah. <laughs> so then I was in San Diego for a while, and I just kind of carried with me that surfer persona and um, kind of laid back style. I went board shorts and flip flops and white t-shirt right um so that was my that was most of my childhood it wasn't until i came to grad school on the east coast that it was like oh okay like this is this is how some of these guys are looking let's here get a suit yeah yeah, yeah. Stuff like that and um and i i mean part of that was i could never afford that stuff sure. when i was a kid or um when, even when i was in college and um and i was a hard fit so things didn't just naturally fit me off the rack so it, it just seemed like it wasn't it never worked well for me um, yeah. until I was able to do custom fit. And it was like, oh, wow, this stuff can be really cool. That's fascinating. So can, can we talk about Guam for a second? Yeah, sure. What's life like in Guam? Guam is like uh, effectively a very small town okay. in the middle of nowhere. Um, How many people live on Guam? 200,000 folks on the island. Okay. Um, maybe a quarter of which are on the military base and don't, come off the base so you don't you don't know those people or see them so mm -hmm. you've got 150,000 people to interact with uh, everyone's you know someone's friend or someone's cousin or someone's neighbor's brother or something so it's a very small community and um it's tropical it's uh always summer there you have a rainy season and a dry season and um yeah it's beach life so what do you, what do you and all your friends do i mean you, you guys are just surfing or? Yeah, surfing was a big part of my life. Um, sailing was a big part. Uh, we played basketball. We skateboarded. Um, hiked up in the mountains uh, around yeah. there. Um, had barbecues. Uh, so, okay. So, it's, it's standard life. It's yeah. not like you're, you're in this, this bubble. Yeah. But, like, I, yeah, I'm so, I've always been fascinated. A friend of mine uh, lived on Guam, but on, on a base. Okay. And he was just like, all I wanted to do was see live bands and live music. And yeah. he's like, you, you could, but it would just be like your neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you would never get to see, say, you know, the Cranberries. Right. They don't really make any uh, Guam tour stops. Right. There. Yeah. I remember we had the Beach Boys came through there. Okay. Um, <laughs> we had, <laughs> I remember some concerts when I was a, a child that were, that were pretty special. There was this place called Jeff's Pirates Cove that was on the, on the beach and they do these like live concerts there that were just really cool. A lot of Jimmy Buffett songs. Uh, Jimmy Buffett for <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, do you get to go to, uh, back to Guam often? So Guam's really out of the way. Yeah. And, um, my parents were living there until about a, just a couple years ago. So oh, okay. I, I would go back. I've last time I was there was a couple years ago, but, um, for the most part, if you want to go to a beach, there's beaches that are closer than that. And, um, <laughs> yeah. So I don't, uh, 
I don't see myself spending a lot of time there. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have any siblings? Yeah, I had a brother and a sister. Yeah, both younger. Yeah. Um, I mean, growing up there was great. It was easy to travel around Asia. So as a child, we were, you know, we'd go to Bali, we'd go to Palau, uh, Fiji. Um, oh, wow. So you could kind of easily explore pretty interesting locations out there. Uh, which was which was I think really fun and interesting. Yeah, I mean you get a, a really multicultural experience too, yeah. being yeah. around all those different. You know, I mean because Fiji especially, I mean Fiji, you have like this massive wealth gap of like yeah. the vacationers and then the the people that live there. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and uh, I remember I was really into surfing, so my sister uh, competed in the. Uh, uh, South Pacific Games in track and field. So we went as a family to Fiji, and um, I was super excited to go surfing at Tavarua, which is like a, a famous surf break. So that was my chance to like uh, surf in a place that you'd, you'd see in magazines. That was, that was my Fiji trip. Really special. Holy cow. I, I tried to surf at Trestles in California, okay. which was dumb <laughs> um, because I don't know how to surf and I can yeah. barely swim. But um, that, I mean, I'll tell you, like, that gets you in the best shape of your life. Like, you go out there, yeah. you have to swim, like, a quarter mile before. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a, do you still try to surf? I mean, are you surfing here on the East Coast? Nope. No, surfing for me really stopped in college, and, and which was weird because I chose San Diego because I thought I could continue surfing there and, you know, come back to Guam like a pro. But um, it was when I got to the States and I just discovered all these other things to do that... <laughs> I was like, wow, like, you know, and that's when I, I kind of got into business and thinking about starting companies and it, um, surfing culture was also, I think a, a little bit of a lazy culture and a, like, uh, smoke pot and uh, take it easy kind of okay. attitude. And I, I was like, I don't want to do that. Like, I want to try and create some things and, and do some, uh, make some things happen. So I started getting into all sorts of other stuff with work and school. Right. So do you feel your entrepreneurial bug came from a rebellion of surf culture? Uh, no, I wouldn't. I hadn't thought about it, but um, no, I think it was more just like we, when I was uh, started throwing those events in San Diego and organizing those parties and um, this, this desire to one-up yourself, you know? Oh, we had 100 people at that party last night. That was pretty fun. Can we, we should get a place where we can do 200 people. And then, oh, that was 200 people, and everyone's talking about it. Like, they had a great time. What if we could do a place with 400 people? And <laughs> you just kind of, like, keep trying to, like, take it up a notch. And, um, and I remember we, uh, we were all, like, underage. We are 19 years old. So sure. you could go to Mexico, and that's where you could go to bars. Yeah. And so... Um, and things were much safer back then, too. Yeah, so I was, was going to say, oh, go San to Diego, the Mexico area now is not as safe. Yeah, and so we started organizing these, I started organizing these bus trips to Mexico for, like, to go out to a bar that night. And uh, it sort of culminated in 15 Greyhound buses in the school parking lot, 750 underage kids drinking, <laughs> um, and, you know, taking this massive group down to this... Uh, club in Tijuana oh my lord and um nobody got hurt everyone had a great time but the school noticed and they were like hey like 
this can't happen anymore. <laughs> like you gotta st- you gotta cut this out. So like uh, Mr. Scarrett. Uh. <laughs> so that was like okay, all right. What how can we? What else can we do with, differently? And that's when we started um, getting into nightclubs in San Diego and uh, organizing events that were more legitimate. Right. Yeah. Uh, we got a few minutes left, and so I just wanted to ask you a couple other things. Sure. Who would you say is the the person that's behind you constantly encouraging you on stuff like who who would in terms of like uh your teacher throughout all of this business experience that you're having you know i don't i don't have an obvious answer for that that's okay um yeah, yeah. i i don't have i'm not married i don't have a big investor i don't have a partner it's i think there's lots of folks that uh I count on for support. You know, I've got a good group of friends here in New York and um, the team on at Proper Class, great. And so we've got like a great group of folks that have been with me for the last five or six years now and um, get a lot of support from them. And my family's great. My parents are supportive. So I, I think it's coming from lots of different places. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Is there any other stuff you'd like to add or mention before we wrap? Um, yeah, I, I think made to measure is really hard. Like that's just <laughs> what it comes down to. And like we said, there's so many ways you can make mistakes. And uh, folks will ask us, oh, do you have some competitors? Who's the, who are you competing with? And really like there's, n- there's, no, there's not many companies doing made to measure very well no. and um, providing like a nice quality product without making mistakes and having a good customer ser- good customer service and good experience and not in the men's space not in the women's space and so i think a lot of folks struggle with who are we and what are we doing because they've never seen that before mm-hmm. they, they don't believe that made to measure can be a good experience and that uh the products are a good value or the design is nice so they're going to like it so it, it's it's usually sometimes it's a struggle to for folks to grasp that. And then once they experience it, they're like, wow, like this is amazing. Like, uh, this shirt's my, these are all my favorite shirts now. And, um, and, uh, but, but it took us so many years to figure out and solve all of these problems. Uh, there's just so many problems to solve. You got to figure out a way to, I mean, you have to become an expert on fabrics. Like right. You 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 can't just buy that. Like you've got to we design our own fabrics. We custom make uh these fabrics to to you know get the right look and the right color and the right pattern and the right uh feel and um got 500 fabrics to choose from. Um that takes years to develop. Uh you need to have collars that stand up a certain way or sit a certain way or like you know have a certain feel and finish. You don't just like buy that you've got to try something and try something else and refine it over the years and you get the collars right and then how do you work with the factory and how do you do qa and how does your customer service your customer service team most customer service teams at e-commerce companies are doing returns and sending people shipping labels that's it (laughs) our customer service team has to be able to look at a picture of someone and advise that, okay, I sh- I'm going to narrow the width of your shoulders by a half an inch, increase your chest width by three quarters. I'm going to add you a, a little bit of a slope to the shoulder and move the posture forward. 
and that's going to make those lines go away that you're that are bothering you. So they have to become like really like virtual tailors and develop all sorts of expertise around the product. And you just you can't buy that. You have to develop that over the years. And so there's so many th little things that we've built that make this whole thing work that um, I think are really special and, and rare. Yeah, and I think one of the, the, the interesting things about a lot of this too is um, what is correct and what fits, I'm air quoting fit here, yeah. is relative to the person. Right. And, you know, I have a friend and he's like, this shirt fits great. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't fit like that at all. And then yeah. I have other friends whom you know, they want their collar to be a certain way and they want the tie space right. to be a certain way. Right. And in my opinion of, of what I've seen on them, I don't think that it looks great, Yeah. but it doesn't matter yeah. because they're like, this is what I want. And so I think the tough part also in a business is you have customers like that and they're like, right. no, it has to be like this. Right. And that may not even be physically possible. Yeah. You know, it's like, I want a collar that always stands up when I put my sweater on or the inner lining's too thick, right. but I also want a good roll. And it's right. like, well, you can't really have both. It's, it's actually impossible. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, so it's a balance of, A, trying to give the customer what they want, but B, explaining to them and help educate them like where there's conflicts in what they're asking for and yeah. how they can understand that. And um, I think we, we really strive to give the customer what they want, whatever that is. They want the baggier fit, no problem. Let's, let's do it. You want the tie space? Let's, we got that too. Um, but uh, the, often the disconnect is they, they know what they want, but they, in a sort of conceptual way, okay. but they don't know how to get that. And so that's where connecting the dots between, oh, we need to widen the shoulders in order to get you what you're looking for or right. oh we need to switch from pinpoint to twill because twill is going to give you that shine and be a little more wrinkle resistant if that's if if wrinkle resistance is what matters to you we shouldn't be even looking at broadcloth like so there's there's that whole expertise that we need to be able to connect people connect the dots between what someone's saying about what they want and how to actually get it and being custom having 500 fabrics to choose from and 25 collar styles to choose from and you know a million different ways to adjust your fit it's very powerful but it's also very overwhelming and it and and folks can get lost in that especially yeah. if they're not real menswear experts that have been buying custom shirts their whole life which most of our customers aren't so that's where there's a lot of this education and you know working with someone to, to try and understand what they're going for and then connect the dots between those things and like what we can do to get them that right that's awesome. Well, I think you guys are definitely, I mean, from the looks of it, you're, you're doing pretty well and you're on the right track. Yeah, thank you. So thanks again for, for taking the time to come on and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Okay, awesome. Thank you. See ya. You've been listening to Blamo. Our theme music is by Tan Lines. If you like this episode, there's plenty more to dive into at blamopod.com. Listen to Blamo on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're at it, tell a friend and leave a review. It helps let others know and discover the show. You can follow us on Instagram at Blamo Podcast or send us an email at info at blamopod.com. See you next week. <laughs>